And I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. We're glad to have you as well. Now, this is the third in our series about friends, right? And so if you've heard any of the messages up to this time, you know where we're going. We're kind of moving in a progression. But if you weren't here and you weren't able to, to be in part of the services earlier, because people go to church two times a month now. Did you know that? Not you, but other people go to church two times a month now. You've got perfect attendance, right? Look at the person next to you and say, I have perfect attendance. Go ahead and tell them that. That's right. And then tell them that's why you have friends. Say, that's why I've got friends, because I have perfect attendance. There you go. Anyway, we're glad that you're here because we're going to be talking about friends some more today. Now, I wanted to do, just do a quick review for those who might not have heard the first two messages. There's a few facts that are interesting that I thought you might want to know about that you could apply. If I ask you, and I did this the first week, to write down your closest friends. Now, these are friends that you're really close to. These are the people that you'll share your intimate secrets with, that you'll, you'll spill your guts for these people, and they'll talk to you and tell you things. How many friends do you think you would write down if you were to do that today? You know, the average is two people, two friends today. People say, I've got two very close friends, and then that's pretty much it. Now, that, that sounds pretty good, right? Unless you know that 25 years ago, the average was that people had six close friends. Do you see that? It's changing, isn't it? And there's some reasons for that that we're going to look at today. Now, here's another shocking statistic, if you didn't know this. 25% of all Americans surveyed said that they do not have one close personal friend. Not one. They're, they're totally isolated and by themselves. And there's also a new phobia. You know about the new phobia, right? You remember? It's, what is it? Talking on the phone. That's right. People are afraid to talk on the phone because they didn't grow up doing that. They grew up texting and, and using email and on Twitter and Instagram and everything else, and so they don't know how to talk on the phone. They're afraid of it they don't, because they don't know where the conversation is going. So what happens is if you call them, they'll let it go to voicemail, and then they'll text you and say, what do you want? <laughs> right? Isn't that true? And then, and then you have to text them back. And here's the other thing. They're also afraid of talking on the phone because they don't know how to get off the phone. They have another phobia. They don't know how to hang up the phone. They don't know how to get away. So here's what they say. They'll say, can I call you back? And then they never call you back. They just say, can I call you back? And you know, all they've got to do is say bye and hang up the phone. I used to know a Methodist preacher. He's gone to heaven now. But he was a great guy. His name was Red Hildreth, and he was, he was notorious. When he called you and talked to you, when he got through talking to you, he'd say, okay, i got to go by click. And that was it. He was gone. You didn't even get to say goodbye. He, did, he could teach a class on how to get off the phone today. There wouldn't be any phobia then because he would help you understand that. But it is a phobia today. And then for many people today, because of social media, it's a good thing, but because of it, a lot of people don't have intimate, close relationships with other people. And so we said early in the series, what we're going to try to work on is having face-to-face, -face, not just thumbs-to-thumbs relationships, okay? Right? And so that's what we're talking about. Now, the key thought for this series is, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Because our friends really influence us, don't they? Our friends make a difference. We become more and more like them. 
You become like the people you spend the most time with. In fact, Solomon, thousands of years ago, said it this way in Proverbs. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So if you want to be wise, you've got to hang out with wise people. If you want to be smart, you need to hang out with smart people, right? You know, whatever you want to do in life, you want to be able to manage your money well, you need to hang out with people who manage their money well. In other words, you show me your friends and I'll show you who you are becoming. If you hang around people who are passionate and positive and faith-filled, then you're going to be passionate and positive and faith-filled, right? On the other hand, if you're around negative, critical people with a bad attitude, guess what? You're going to take on their characteristics, aren't you? Y'all ever see people go in the store together? Let's say there's two girls and they're friends, and, and you can tell they've been shopping together. Have y'all ever seen that? Because they got on the exact same thing. I mean, the same color shirt, same color shorts. It's the same thing. And I said, you know, I bet y'all, I bet y'all are friends, aren't you? I, I bet you've been shopping together. And they'll go, huh? What? Us? Yeah, they don't realize it. But that's really the truth. Now, here's another thing we've discovered. The more material blessings that people have, then what happens is that they're losing the blessing of relationships. In other words, the more resources they have, the more independent they become. Now, we think in our world that we're supposed to be independent, right? We're supposed to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We're supposed to be our own person, be in charge. That's really not what the Bible teaches. God says that we need to depend on him. In fact, he created us to depend on him. He didn't create us to be independent. It's countercultural. And also, he created us to depend on his people. Now, I've told you before that saints is never singular in the New Testament. It's always plural. So we're supposed to depend on one another in the body of Christ and depend on God together to be all that he wants us to be as individuals. That means we serve one another, we love one another, and we exhort one another. Now, even in our language sometimes, we say things that really don't emphasize the fullness of God and his relationship. Over my ministry, I've said something like this many, many times. You need to have a personal relationship with God, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's true, isn't it? You need to have a personal relationship with God. But just saying that is incomplete. Never just settle for a personal relationship with God because there's actually something richer. A shared relationship with God. He says, where two or three gather together in my name, there I will be also, right? And so we're supposed to share that relationship with each other. It's even better when we experience, it's better than experiencing God on our own, is experiencing the glory and power and majesty and character of God in the context of a broader, deeper, biblical community. And yet, there are so few people who really have that. We have a lot of external blessings, but we also have relational poverty. You know about relational poverty? It's a lack of friends. Look at the person next to you and say, do you have relational poverty? Go ahead and ask them right now. Now, if you do, there's three reasons why you have that today. So I'm going to tell you the first, I'm going to tell you the three reasons why you may have relational poverty. First, increased mobility. Increased mobility. We don't stay in the same place anymore. 
In fact, the average American moves every five years. Years ago, when I was serving the Navarre United Methodist Church, we were seven miles from Hurlburt Air Force Base. Now, those military people, they would move them in and out of there every five years. And, you know, for some reason, the general would never contact me to see who to move and who would stay. I wanted to give them input. I wanted to say, you can have these folks. Let us keep these folks right here. They never did consult me on that. I can't believe it. But they were gone every five years. And it takes five to seven years to make a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ out of a person who doesn't know God. Did you know that? And so we had to really accelerate that process. It was a challenge. And if you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you move on average every three years. Would you agree with that? People move all the time. And it's hard to develop long-term relationships when you're just moving all the time, right? It's a challenge. The second thing is modern conveniences. Modern conveniences have had an effect on relationships. Now, I know this is going back a ways, but years ago, I know this will blow some of your minds. You, you won't even, they really, you lived without this? They didn't have air conditioning. Anybody remember that besides me? First house I lived in, we didn't have an air conditioner. It wasn't centrally heated and cool. We had one air conditioner in the living room, and it, it cooled the whole house. If you got hot, you just went in there, right? We didn't have air conditioning. So what would people do back then? They would go outside. They would sit on their front porch, and they would talk and visit with their neighbors because it was cooler out there in the evening, and they could go out there and connect with one another. Also, years and years ago, before many of you were born, they had a thing called a detached garage. The, the garage was not connected to the house. It was out back. So even if you parked your car in the garage, when you walked to the house, your neighbor was doing the same thing. So you had to speak to them. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Because they were doing the same thing. Then when they built houses with attached garages, they came up with a button that was a garage door opener. So you could push that button and open the door, and then you could drive in and just push that button and shut it back down. You didn't have to talk to anybody. I'm home now. I'm glad to be here. The rest of you, don't bother me. Leave me alone, right? Isn't that the truth? And, and so that was happening. You know, it, it changed. Now, I know a lot of you are too young to know about this third thing I'm going to mention, but, but some of you who are old as me or maybe older, you may remember that they used to have answering machines for telephones. Anybody remember those? Answering machines. Now, let me tell you what happened before they had answering machines because y'all don't even know about answering machines, much less about what happened before. It used to be that if somebody called your house on the telephone, the only way you could find out who it was would be to answer the phone. They didn't have call ID and all that. You know, you didn't know who it was. You just had to answer the phone, and then they would tell you who they were, and you'd go, oh, no, how am I going to get off? I have a phobia. I'm trying to hang up the phone. You, you didn't know what to do, right? And then they came up with an answer machine. When the answer machine came along, what happened was that you could screen your calls. Somebody says, Hello, this is, so oh, I'm going to distance myself from them. Don't you talk to them. I'm not answering the phone. And you just let them leave a message, and then you move on, right? And so it just became more and more that way. Now, here's what's happened. More recently, we've come up with individualized forms of entertainment. That's what we have. 
When I was a kid growing up, you know how I entertained myself? I went outside. And all my buddies in the neighborhood were outside. And we stayed outside all day long. And we played ball all day long outside. In fact, our mothers used to have to call us to come in because we were out in the neighborhood somewhere playing ball together, right? Nowadays, folks are on their iPad. They're playing a video game. It's individualized, and they're inside their houses, and they don't have to connect with other people because there are other things that occupy their time. And so there's not nearly as much social interaction. And then the third thing is the rise in social media. Now, we've said that social media is a good thing. There's a lot of positive things about it. But at the same time, it's not the same thing as face-to-face contact. In fact, we said that that face-to-face relationship, that it's supposed to be the the main thing. It's not just supposed to be, um, you know, that we talk to each other in social media all the time. But because a lot of people just use it as a supplement, it really needs to be the relationship that's important, not just a supplement for it. We've acknowledged the tremendous blessings of it. Social media, one person has said, is creating an epidemic. Now listen, is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. Would you agree with that? An epidemic of deferred loneliness. You feel lonely, so you post something on Facebook, or you upload a picture on Instagram, or you tweet something. And then you sit back and almost immediately you get feedback. Oh, look, somebody likes it. But deep down inside, we know internally how little it takes to double-click on a picture on Instagram and keep scrolling. And it doesn't eliminate our loneliness. What it does is it defers it. So many of us are going through life. We may have 400 Facebook friends, and yet we have no one we could really call and talk to if we needed to have a conversation with someone. Internally, if you're silent long enough, you begin to see that something's not working. Now, last week we decided that it might not be something that's missing, but it might be someone. I I don't have a close personal relationship. I don't have a friendship. I don't have somebody I can talk to. And today, it might not just be someone who is missing, but it could be a group of someones who are missing in your life. So here's our key thought for today, okay? You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. If you're not in a life group, a small group, some kind of class, some type of group where you do life together with other people, then you're missing out. You might be in a a group of strong believers and you do life together and you lift each other up and you pray for one another and you always have each other's back and that's a blessing. But some of you don't have that and you're one community away from changing your destiny. Now in Acts chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 2, that's a great place to go by the way if you want to learn about the church. You read Acts, the second chapter, it'll tell you all about the church, the New Testament church when it got started. And it'll tell you what they did, but it'll tell you what we're supposed to do as the church as well. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute and talk about that. Those are four different things they did. They, They listened, somebody taught them, they were involved in fellowship, they ate together, and they prayed together. Now, in the church, in the life of the church, here's what I've discovered. We all have hobby horses that we like to ride. 
And what we need in our life is balance. So there are people who just like to study all the time, but they never serve. And if you meet people who study the Bible all the time, but they never serve, they have become the most critical, judgmental, frustrated people in the church. Thank you very much. Yes, they are. Because they're always looking at other people saying, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing that because they're not busy doing it themselves. They're looking at other folks. That's the truth. What about people who just serve all the time, but they don't ever fellowship? Well, they're burnt out. They're worn out. No wonder they're shutting the garage door. They don't want to see anybody. They don't have anything left to give. And so what we need is a balance in our lives, especially in our church life, where we're doing different things and we're growing. We're blessed because of that. So there was a community, and it was centered around Christ. Early on, it wasn't centered around soccer or the neighborhood association. It was centered around Christ. And then it went on and said, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Does that sound like they were united to you? They were connected. They were tight. They knew what was going on with each other. Now, if you want to see love, listen to what they did. This is one of the first things the New Testament church did when it got started. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave it to anyone who deserved it. Is that what it says? No, it says to anybody who had need. They said, God has blessed us. We want to share with other people. We don't want anybody to go without. We're going to try to take care of one another. You know, and, and that was a blessing. And then it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, meaning they were a picture of the church, and then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Does it sound like they're doing life together? Yeah, they're living together. They're spending time together. They're doing life together. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You don't just stumble into a community like that by accident, but you have to create it with the love of Christ. Now, here are three qualities of great Christian community. Since we're talking about needing a Christian community, let's look at them together. The first thing we have is refrigerator rights. That's number one. Refrigerator right. That makes everybody smile. In, in the first service, people saw that, they smiled. They said, okay, I like that. You like that, don't you? You like to have refrigerator rides. Yeah. I told you two weeks ago about being in college and how we were all poor and we all lived in the same neighborhood together and we all took care of each other and we all just kind of found out who had money that day and we, that's how we were fed and we would just hold them upside down until their money came out and then we would go buy some and it might be we had fried bologna because that's what Danny Godwin could cook for us but whatever it was, we all did it together. Believe me, we <laughs> did life together, okay? We had to. Yeah, so if somebody from the group came over, you know, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. They didn't have to ask. They could just get something out of the refrigerator. Of course, they might want to check the date on it, but hey, you know, it's up to you. Enter at your own risk, okay? But, but that's the truth, and, and you just did life together because that's the way it was. In fact, in Acts 2, it says all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. How many people outside of your family have refrigerator rights in your family right now? They can just come into your house, eat whatever they want to. 
You know, you've got to be close to people for that to occur. You've got to have a relationship with people for that to happen. You've got to have a personal relationship with God and a shared relationship with other people for that to take place. Now, I learned something recently. After the hurricane, we were displaced. The person who owned our house said, hey, I want to sell the house. The insurance is going to do a facelift. It's a seller's market, and I couldn't blame him. And so he said, I want to sell the house. And so we had to find a place to live. In fact, for six weeks, we lived somewhere other than the house while it was being repaired. We moved in with a couple in the church for six weeks. I just want everybody here to just stop for a moment and thank God it wasn't you, okay? <laughs> we moved in with these folks for six weeks, and then... Their prayers were answered, and we left. We moved out after that, okay? And then after we moved out, we moved into a new neighborhood. Now, I got to live in Point, so we went from Bay Point to Breakfast Point, okay? That's just where we could find a house. And I've learned that they're different neighborhoods. It's a different place. At Bay Point, you got big yards, and you got a lot of trees, at least you did before the hurricane. And everybody speaks to everybody at the post office because you got this one central place to go get your mail, right? And that's where you speak to one another. So you're pretty much ready when you go to the post office knowing, hey, I might run into somebody I know, right? At Breakfast Point, it's totally different. We moved in over there. They don't have any trees in Breakfast Point. It's all a new subdivision. All the trees are gone. They got these houses, and they're a little bit closer together. You know, when we were living in, in Bay Point, we didn't see our neighbors for almost the whole time we lived there until after we had a hurricane because there was a forest between our house and the house next door. We knew there was a house over there somewhere. We just couldn't see it. When the hurricane came through, the forest was gone. And all of a sudden, I said to the Lord, look at there. They've thrown up a house next door. It's right here. Who knew that they were living there? I mean, I'm telling you the truth now. So we moved to Breakfast Point. I mean, I'm, we're just moving in. I'm just trying to get stuff out of the truck. I'm out there in the driveway, and, and a neighbor comes up and says, hey, how you doing? And introduces herself, and, you know, we introduce ourselves, and we start talking and visiting together, and pretty soon, you know, I've got her social security number and a lot of information right there. <laughs> She's given me a chart where everybody lives. I've got their names. I'm supposed to memorize it. We hadn't even moved in yet, okay? All these people, and they're out in the neighborhood. They're out all the time. You don't need a neighborhood watch in Breakfast Point. Folks are out there. They're walking around. They're, they're taking their dog for a walk. They got their babies in strollers. And, and, you know, at Bay Point, you had golf courses. Not here. You've got playgrounds. Ever so many feet, you've got to have a playground over there. And there's kids out there playing in the playground. I mean, this is a place where people are living. So I walked out the first Sunday morning. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to get in the truck. And, and this lady comes down the street with her son, and, and she's got a dog and walking. Hi, how you doing? Boy, you got to have your head on a swivel. I mean, you could snub somebody real easy without even knowing it there. I'm telling you. And so this morning I walked out. It's pretty early. It's Sunday morning. You know, there's not a lot of traffic on Sunday morning, right? Lady across the street standing there, good morning. Well, good morning to you too. How you doing? I mean, you, you got to be ready, right? Because it's all a neighborhood. When you live close to people like that and you get close to people like that, what happens? Well, sometimes you might get hurt. Sometimes you might be disappointed or, or somebody might be disappointed in you. Sometimes you might be at risk there. And you, you know, it, it, but it's important that you go on and live together anyway because God created us to depend on him and each other. Now, second, we all have flawed feet. Now, some of you, I'm going to tell you, in, in every service today, there are people who already know that about themselves. 
When I said that, you just pulled your feet back in under the chair. I'm telling you, there's people who will tell you. They will come. How many of you already knew you had flawed feet today? Go ahead. Be honest. It's okay. You're among friends. You can trust them, okay? Now, how many of you are sitting beside somebody who has flawed feet and does not know it, okay? <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? Now, now, we have flawed feet. We all do. In fact, Romans says this. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, what am I talking about when I say flawed feet? We all have struggles. We all are human. We're real. And we need each other. And we need to lift each other up. In fact, Scripture, it's in Scripture, anytime there was someone born with a defect back in the day the Bible was written, then what would happen is that people would look at that person and they would say, well, the, the, their parents sinned, and that's why they're like they are. That's why they have that problem. It's because of sin. In fact, there's an amazing story in the Old Testament about a guy named Mephibosheth. How many of you have ever heard of Mephibosheth? Yeah, Mephibosheth, that's a great story. You ought to go read about Mephibosheth. Now, who was Mephibosheth? Well, you remember there was King Saul. We talked about him last week. King Saul had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan had a son, and, and one of the sons he had, his name was Mephibosheth. Now, you remember we said that King David was close to Jonathan. Even though King Saul was trying to kill David before he became king, you know, David wouldn't harm Saul. He had a chance to kill him on more than one occasion. He wouldn't do it. He said, I'm not going to raise my hand to the Lord's anointed. But he and, and Saul's son, Jonathan, were best friends. And when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, David was heartbroken. He didn't want either one of them to die, but especially he didn't want Jonathan to die. And he said, well, well who's left in his family? And they said, well, his son Mephibosheth, he's still around. And David said, well, you bring him to me. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to raise him. I'm going to see that he is provided for. He will never have to worry. Now, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that this guy was lame in both feet. Now, the reason he was that, he wasn't born that way. The reason he was like that is because of one of the nurses, the maids, they came in to get him real quick because it looked like they were going to have to leave and run away. And when they did, she dropped him accidentally. And then he was lame in both feet because of it. But, but people in those days, when they looked at other people, they, society would just reject them. They didn't know the facts or the details. It didn't really matter. They'd just say, well, there's some sin there. But the king had mercy on him. And he said, I'm going to take care of him. And there's a powerful verse in 2 Samuel that says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. Now, don't miss this. Society rejected him, but the king accepted him, and he ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. You know what's the truth? We're all lame in both feet. We all have clay feet. What does that mean? Clay feet just means that we're all sinners saved by grace. You know, that, that our foundation's not that strong on our own, Right? That, that what we deserve is death, sin and death. But what we get by the righteousness of Jesus Christ is life and forgiveness. So really, honestly, we're all sinners saved by grace. But when God looks at us, he says, look, you come on over to my house. And I'm going to let you eat at my table. 
And when I look at you, I see Jesus because you've been forgiven. And so I see his righteousness in you. And I can't see you feed anyway because you're sitting at my table. And I'm feeding you. And your feet are covered up. Now that's good news. I don't care who you are. That's good news right there. Because when God looks at you and me, he loves us. And he wants to bless us. And we are righteous in his eyes because of what Jesus did if we've accepted him. Now, the third and the last thing is we fight lions. We fight lions. Did you know that? In 1 Peter, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, everybody knows we have a spiritual enemy, right? And that spiritual enemy is the Satan, Lucifer, and he wants to steal kill and destroy he's prowling around like a lion looking at how he can attack any of us and everything that matters to the heart of God now I was working on this a few weeks ago and so Laura and I on Sunday nights we were watching this show called Serengeti did any of you get to see that it was fascinating it was about all the different animals in Africa and how they lived and, and how they made it through life and how there was the rainy season and the dry season and how they, you know, had to go here and there. They migrated all the time. And, you know, it was always a constant battle every day just to stay alive, right? And so what you saw there was that the lions decided, okay, we're going to the watering hole. We're going to pick on someone who's vulnerable. So they say, well, what we're going to do is there, there's a baby water buffalo. So we're going to go after that baby water buffalo because it can't defend itself. And us together, you know, as lions, we can take that water buffalo on and we can kill it. But what those lions don't know is that water buffaloes stick together. <laughs> they said, you mess with one of us, you got all of us. And those water buffalo, they come together and they start running those lions off one by one. And that baby water buffalo lives to eat another day. Now, now, here's what I want you to see. Satan, our enemy, is always looking for somebody weak, somebody vulnerable, somebody he can pick off. He, if he can't hurt you, he wants to hurt your child, somebody in your family. And so what we have to do as the body of Christ is we have to band together, and we have to fight because we can't win that alone. You see, if water buffalo and, uh, can stick together, surely Christian people in the church can stick together and fight the enemy. When the enemy comes, because here's what we know. We, we don't just have a playground. We got a battleground. We're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship as Christians, as the body of Christ. And, and we're not going to go down because we don't have the support of one another. We've got to be together. You don't want to fight cancer alone. You don't want to be in a financial position where you're hurting financially by yourself. You don't want your kid just wandering off alone by him or herself. What we want is the strength of the body. It helps us stand up. And they come together. And, and they love us. And they pray for us. And they encourage us. And they fight for us. Because we are not vulnerable when we are together. And some of you right now are vulnerable. Because you don't have a life group. You don't have a small group. You don't have a class. You don't have a group of friends. You don't have people that you do life with together. And so you look out, and, and you know, there's, a, there's a, a lie in the world today that says we're supposed to be independent. I talked about this, and we're not. We're supposed to be dependent on God and each other. But you know, when the, when the world looks into the church, you know what they're supposed to see? 
Look at how they love each other. Look at how they take care of each other. Look how they have each other's back. And, and I may not know everything there is to know about God, but I want what they have in my life because I'm left out. And I don't want to be left out. And Jesus' words come to life in John, the 13th chapter, when he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, let me just say something about that. Sometimes we get our feelings hurt. Sometimes we take the bait of Satan and we say, I'm just going to be at odds with God and other people because my feelings are hurt. And if you do that, you are responsible for your attitude. You're responsible for your choice. I don't care what other people do or don't do. It doesn't make any difference. Because each one of us individually is responsible to love one another. And the best way to heal that is to love folks, even those that are ugly, even those that are persecuting us, even those that are difficult. The best way to overcome that and have joy in your life, the joy of the Lord is my strength, is to love people and to love them into the kingdom. And one of the greatest ways to let your light shine for the world is when you have love for one another and for God. It's contagious. And, and because we're not good, God's good. Don't ever give me what I deserve. I'd much rather have grace and mercy anytime. And if you're holding a grudge against somebody, you know, they can just turn around and point their finger at you and say, well, you're just as bad. So we've got to get beyond that. The Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, died for us. And we didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. And so what we've got to have is we've got to have relational integrity, relational strength, relational wealth, not relational poverty. You're one community away from changing the course of your destiny. But it's not going to happen by accident. You've got to be in it to have it and to do it. So I want to encourage you to talk to Cameron Winton when she gets back in town and say, hey, look, I've been listening and I need to get involved in a life group. What do I need to do to make that happen? Can I start one? Can I get some of my friends together? How could we do that in life? Because I don't want to go through life alone. I need some help to make that happen. I want to get connected. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you teach us that we need you and we need each other. I pray that we'll take advantage of that information. I pray we won't wait any longer, but we'll do it now. I pray in Jesus' name.